Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Parenting in a modern world, Linda. What do you think that means, parenting in a modern world? I don't know, but I, I think that we kind of forgot about what parenting is like in the modern world because we have just gone back this week to where we were 35 years ago with four kids and expecting a fifth one with grandchildren. Yeah, it's, 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 it makes you understand why people have children while they're still young. <laughs> I don't remember it being this hard when we had four of our own and one on the way, but now that we're with four of our grandkids, spelling off the parents who have one on the way, we're realizing that, hey, this ain't no easy deal. But by the way, I did want to say Ayers on the Road has a special ring to it this week because we're literally on the road. We're pulled over to the side of the road on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, in Beverly Hills, actually. And the reason we're in such an odd spot is we just drove the grandkids up from where they live in Orange County up to meet their parents who are staying right by the hospital because of a fairly high-risk pregnancy and a delivery that could happen any moment. Actually, we have had so much fun with these little kids. They're just so sweet and innocent and fresh, except that there's a crisis a minute. And uh, it really is hilarious to be around these kids. I mean, somebody is crying because they can't have something. They, uh, in the car on the way, somebody, Layla, our six-year-old, was saying, well, I'm considering letting you be the human. But I don't know. And then the four-year-old is whining like, I want to be the human. What in the world they were talking about? I don't know. Well, they have vivid imaginations. And so um, they have these wild imaginations, and it's so fun to listen in and hear them. Um, We actually put up um, a tweet. I think Ben, our our wonderful manager and producer, uh, who is leaving this week. Ben, we're going to miss you so much. He's going to Japan for an internship. Um, but we really um, appreciate him tweeting out a picture, if you want to take a look at it. Of did he tweet it, or did kids. he put it on the BYU video it. website? We didn't get him didn't get it to him soon enough to post, but we will, uh, if you want, go take a look. We, you know, everything happens... Boy, how would they take a look if he's tweeting it? I think he put it on BYU Radio. Well, we'll find out at the break. Yeah, anyway, anyway. Back um, to the point. We're here spelling off. That's one thing grand grandparents do, you know, as they go try to take care of their kids and grandkids and so on. And that's what we're doing here in sunny California. And we're pretty much having a good time except for the two-year-old who... I don't know. What do you think it is, Linda? He keeps finding the makeup. He either finds your makeup or he finds our daughter-in-law's makeup. mother's makeup. And honestly, when his dad was his age, too, he was in a toilet. I don't mean just dabbling in the toilet or putting toilet paper in the toilet or throwing stuff. I mean putting himself in the toilet four times a day, five times a day. I was running around the house trying to keep the bathroom doors closed. He liked that squishy sound. He was totally obsessed with this. This is Noah. 
And, you know, the little uh, squashing up and down sound when he was going up and down, he just loved it. He couldn't help himself. So now he has this little two-year-old who cannot stay away from the makeup, and we cannot seem to put it up high enough. What do you think is worse? I mean, like oh. father, like son, would you rather... Would you rather have a little two-year-old who climbs in the toilet all the time or who grabs the makeup? The makeup habit is probably more expensive. The funny thing is he much, must have watched his mother quite a lot because he, he knows that some of it's supposed to go on your eyes and some of it's supposed to go on your lips, the red part. And, and but yesterday he did his knees. He did his knees, yeah, with cover-up. Was yeah. cover up, wasn't it? I had to cover up his knees. Yeah, I guess. so that was pretty interesting. But he's he's a bit of a handful, but he is so sweet that you just can't get oh, enough he has of it. The sweetest smile. How can you get mad at a child who just smiles like an angel? And then we've got this this eight year old, the oldest of their four, who is a budding scientist, and he'll say things like, "Grandfather." I understand most of science, but there's a few things that really, really perplex me. I said, oh, okay, McKay, well, what perplexes you? Well, he says the main thing is a seed. Like, how did God make a seed? I know he makes trees with seeds and so on, but how did he make that seed? I mean, here's this little thing, and you're going to put it in the ground, and a tree is going to grow. How, how did he get that? How, that's what perplexes me, says the seed. <laughs> Honestly, I, part of it comes, I guess, from watching videos, watching science programs, but honestly, they came up with words that I know our children did not know at their age. It's absolutely quite incredible. And those of you grandparents that are listening know what we mean, and you parents also. It really is quite incredible what these little children know. So, Linda, here's, I'm going to ask you the tough question. We didn't prepare this at all, so this is going to catch you a little off guard. But as a grandmother, as the consummate grandma, in my mind, when you are with your grandchildren, when you're babysitting them, when you're there day and night, you're actually moving into the parent's role. You're actually playing the role of parent as a grandparent. Or when you're in that role... Do you think that it makes you more appreciative of the mom who's usually there, or do you think it makes you a little critical of the mom, and, and are you finding yourself saying, well, why doesn't she teach him this? Well, why does she organize it this way? Well, why doesn't she do better on this? Which is it? Is it admiration, or is it worry? Oh, my goodness. In this case, it's total admiration. This mom, Christy, is so amazing. I mean, these four kids are a handful. They just kind of came that way, but they are just so amazing. It makes me realize that this mom has taught them well. And, and I guess it's not true in every case. We are so lucky so far with parents um, doing a great job with their kids. Not that we don't see things that could be changed. And... Um, and the hard part is not to try and fix it. Although when we're in charge, I kind of like it because, you know, when the whining starts, we just immediately retire them to a close-by bathroom and close the door until they're done whining. And if they are fussing because they don't get exactly what they want, too bad. I Well, it does give you a chance to reset. I mean, you, you can say to these grandkids, hey, you know, um, I don't know what the rule was yesterday before we got here, but now that we're here, this is what we do when you whine, or this is what we do when you fight. 
And it's pretty amazing that they're willing to say, okay, new rules, we better do this for now. And they're probably in the back of their minds saying, but as soon as you leave, I'll go back to doing what I what I usually do. <laughs> I think they've got that all figured out. But it really is nice. I mean, it just the first time we stopped him short and said, nope, we are not allowing that while we're here. That's the only time you can do that is when the parents are totally gone, I yeah, have to say. Yeah. And... Um, but I, I like that. I like it just fine. They know what the rules are, and they know how far they can push us, and then it's over because they know what's going to happen. So, I mean, not that we're beating them off or anything, but just removing them from the situation, putting them in the bathroom. And So we've given you a little picture of this, this oldest grandson, the eight-year-old scientist who, who uses the word perplexed. And we've given you an idea of the youngest, the little guy, the two-year-old who has a makeup fetish. I hope that doesn't portend things. I'm afraid he's destined to be a makeup artist. <laughs> Honestly. Well, no, but then you stuff. can see he can't keep it the way he wants basketball all the time, too. So the jury's a little bit out on him. And then, then there's the four-year-old who had his birthday yesterday and who is um, Mr. Macho Man. He's just a boy's boy all the way through, except when it comes to doing something a little bit scary, and then he becomes a shrinking violet. <laughs> I took him swimming today, and um, Mr. Machelman turned into a wilted heap of, oh, no, I might get wet. <laughs> so he's an interesting conundrum. And then we've left out the five-and-a-half-year-old, Lila, who is little miss sunshine. She is just almost all the time. Almost all the time. <coughs> changes her outfit several times a day. Today she was wearing her leopard tights and her tutu and a pink tank top. And that was one of the calmest outfits that she's selected right. this well, week. It was to the swimming <coughs> So, you know. Well, that was her swimming outfit. The swimming pool, yeah. Well, she had a suit, but she had to wear that to the pool. Swimming suit, yeah. Yeah. Right. But anyway, it really is so fascinating. But when that child starts whining, there is no stopping except for in the bathroom because she is very strong-willed and a drama queen. But we're used to that because our youngest was the drama queen of the world and continues to be. So we know how to handle that. But hey, there- by the way, Linda, you know, it's funny. You, you say... Um, uh, that reminds me, whenever Linda's introducing herself to an audience or whatever, she'll, she'll say, we have nine children, one of every kind. And the audience seems to get that because they always chuckle and laugh and so on. But we have an editor who's working on a new book that we're writing now, and, and Linda put that phrase in in the early part of the book. She wanted to kind of give an overview of us as the authors and so she said we we have nine children of our own one of every kind did you notice Linda that the editor came back with the manuscript and said what does this mean exactly does it mean does it mean that you have does it mean all your kids are unique or does it mean that um You've categorized all the kids in the world into nine categories and you happen to get one 
from each of those categories. Oh, I didn't see that, but it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Does she have children? I yeah, she must think have. she has maybe one. Oh, well, then no one. So that's why it's really hard for her to figure that out. But I'm glad. I hope you. I hope you fix that. So. One of every kind, and we we did have an incredible variety. In fact, that's that's really kind of the theme of today's show that we're working our way gradually into because it's been reinforced by our experience with these grandkids, namely the simple fact that every parent has to learn. Well, not every parent. Actually, a parent who only had one child would never have to learn this lesson. And the lesson is that you will never, ever get two who are alike, and therefore you will never, ever be able to use the same motivational methods, discipline methods, uh, you, everything will change for each child. And the sooner we admit that to ourselves and begin to look for the particular unique aspects of each individual child, the more we'll start enjoying our parenting. So just in the last minute before we go to a break or the last couple of seconds, Linda, what can they expect from the second half well, of the show? Well, you know, I'm, I think we're going to talk about we're, this, the name of the show is Family Visits, and we're going to talk about why exactly we're visiting this family. There's a crisis at hand, and sometimes it sounds like everything goes so well at our in our family, but we do have crises as well. And so stay tuned, and we'll fill you in on that. We're going to prove to you that we have lots of crises. See you right after the break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. We moved to a quieter street, so if you thought you heard a lot of cars going by before, that was Sunset Boulevard. But now we're on a tiny little quiet street called Clark, which is Linda's (laughs) mother's maiden name. They're very interested in that. Okay. So what we want to talk about this second half is a little bit about the hard times that we have when we're visiting kids or with kids that are going on. When people ask me how our kids are, they know we have nine kids. I always say, you know, they're all great except the ones that are in crisis this week. I think somebody's always in crisis for some reason or other, but this one is really special because... Before before you get into the details, Linda, and I don't know, we may not give you a lot of details, but let me me preface it a little by saying that one, one problem we always notice and that we wish we could wave a magic wand and change for parents all over the world, wherever we go, there's this tendency on the part of parents, number one, to feel guilt for not doing as well as you should or not being as good a parent as you could be or getting mad or losing your temper. or There's just a lot of guilt in parenting. But also, more specifically, it just seems to be sort of endemic among parents that they, they compare themselves with others and they always feel like they're not doing as good a job as the person next door. And one of the one of the worries Linda and I have had for thirty years, for as long as more than that, as long as we've been writing books for parents and families, is that somehow if we're not very careful, 
we come off as having all the answers, or if not that, at least having a family that's fairly problem-free and the kids are doing great and so on. And, of course, that's not true. We have as many crises as any other family. But I just want to point out that it's very common for parents to to compare themselves to others and think they're not doing so well. Part of the reason for that is you usually see other people at their best, and you don't see them in the midst of their own crises. That might be confined to the walls of their own home. For example, you go to church, let's say, or you go to some other function, and, and you know that your kids are driving you crazy. You know that you were you had a hard time even getting them there. You know you couldn't find their shoes. You know they were fighting as you were driving there in the car. And you walk in and you look at these other families, and they look like they've got it all together. They look under control. And you think, oh, my goodness, I must be the worst parent on the block, in the world, in the city. And what you don't know is that the other parents are basically thinking the same thing. And that's just on the little things of daily life. But then there are the bigger things where we say, oh, look at that family. They don't seem to have any problems. And, boy, I do because I've got a son with serious ADD or I've got a a daughter who's got a bad health problem or whatever. And we just don't understand that there are no families that are free of crisis. You know, last weekend we spoke at a conference for people over 50 and entering to, into a new age and so on, and, and we had a lot of fun with the audience, but we were talking about our grandchildren and what to do with the grandchildren, and one woman raised her hand and said, I have five children, and they're all married and been married for a long time, and I have no grandchildren. How do you encourage them to have children? So you just think, oh, my goodness, you know. There are so many different kinds of problems, and this is becoming more and more prevalent, too, because we realize how many single women there are that have decided not to have children and how many married mothers and people there are that have decided not to have children. But anyway, that's kind of beside the point. What we want to share with you today is just that this is our crisis for this week. We have this little baby girl coming, and uh, this mother has very fast labors, and she has a serious heart condition. Not the mother, the little, the little in vitro baby. The baby, yeah, has a very serious heart condition. Has to do with the right ventricle, and we won't bother you with all the details. But suffice it to say, she's going to have to have surgery within hours after her birth. And there are two or three options of things they can do, and there's a whole team of doctors ready to help, but we're so nervous because if she goes in the middle of the night, will the team be there? And there, what what medical doctors have discovered now is amazing. This would have been a death sentence for sure 25 years ago. But here we are because we're staying with the kids so that our son and daughter-in-law can stay at the Ronald McDonald House right across the street from the hospital because they don't dare be any further away than that because of the urgency of of this particular pregnancy. And along with that, there's difficulties that there's a few crises that uh, our son is trying to put out as far as his management role that he has right now in the company. And you just start adding them up and you say, wow, there's so many things to be dealt with. And it kind of reminds me of what our daughter is always saying on her blog, our youngest daughter. She's always saying, you know, I love mortality. 
this is mortality. This is real life. This is this is one problem after another. This is learning how to deal with things that are not always exactly like we want them to be. In fact, things are never exactly like you want them to be. And yeah, and when you have as many children as we do, or whether you have one or two, um, adult children always have problems just like you have problems. I mean, older people have health problems. Younger single people have a problem because some of them think they'll never be married if they really are dying to be married, and some think they don't want to be married because of what they know about marriage. There's a certain so, symmetry, by the way, to this problem. I don't know if you'll find this interesting, but I find it very interesting. Our our biggest crisis as far as bringing children into the world happened with our fifth child. We were in England, living in England, and and uh, Linda developed a placenta previa, and this little boy was born nine weeks early. He was tiny. He had breathing problems. He had problems with many different functions of his body. Pneumonia, lots of issues. Had to stay in, in a children's hospital in London for 40 days before we got to bring him home. And, and there were times when uh, doctors were not sure he was going to make it, and not to go into detail, but that was our biggest baby crisis. And interestingly, one of our daughters on her fifth child had a difficult syndrome with with a child who's now doing well but is a constant concern because of this genetic syndrome she has. And now this baby that's coming along that we're here to help out with the other children, this is a fifth child. And so there's a certain symmetry to it, but... Again, back to the point, all families have issues. In fact, one of our beliefs that that I find a lot of comfort in, and it really kind of harkens back to what I said our daughter mentions in her blog, that that's the nature of mortality. But, you know, it's ironic because you'll hear people who are right in the midst, right in the throes of a big problem. And it's a common thing sometimes for, for us to say in that setting is, I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. Or why me? I didn't why do that. Me? Why me? And the interesting thing is that we have a belief that actually we did sign up for this. Our belief, and many share this, that that we decided, we made a decision to experience mortality, and we knew that this would not be a place where everything would be easy or a place where there would be no problems or a place where we could just float from one happy time to the next without ever being interrupted by problems. We knew it wasn't that kind of place, and we chose to come here in a way like a student sometimes would choose to go to a laboratory. It's one thing to to learn from a book, but how about going in the laboratory and trying the experiment? and seeing if it works, and seeing if you have a little explosion now and again, and actually experiencing the vicissitudes, the trials, the problems of a place that we call mortal life, temporal life, imperfect physical life. You know, it's so interesting for us to visit our children, because they all live away. One child lives close enough within an hour so that we can see her more often than her five children and husband. But all of them live far away, three on the East Coast, three on the West Coast, two in Phoenix, one in Hawaii. And so it really is 
fascinating to go to their house and observe what's going on. And there's always a crisis. No matter which family we go to, there's always something. And sometimes sometimes crisis, a minor one, yeah, sometimes a major one. Maybe a harsh word in some cases. I mean, we have a little daughter, a daughter and her husband, not so little because she has four children. Um, but they're living in this cute house that they're underwater in, and they... Underwater meaning they're, they're, it's tough to make their mortgage payment. Right, and they have one bathroom. And so when we visit, there's eight of us with one bathroom. And then when a lot of people visit, sometimes there are 12. She had some visitors last weekend, so 12 with one bathroom. And it, it's gotten to be kind of a family joke about this one bathroom. In fact, they've been trying to buy another house. Things keep falling through, you know. There's just as something happens and so on. And so finally they decided just to fix up this house the best they could. And so the mom was painting. They, they were restanding the stairs and painting the front of them. And she's painting them and making it look as nice as she can. And, and her little four-year-old comes along, five, I guess she's five now, Emmeline. She comes along and says, Mom, you know, painting is not going to get us another bathroom. <laughs> and uh, I just had to laugh when I said it because the kids are aware. And uh, everybody's aware that they need another bathroom, and it's just kind of become a family joke. And, and they're fine. I mean, they are just wonderful because they're saying, you know, we can live with this. We can figure it out. You know, we'll put a toilet in the laundry room if we need to. There might be a lot of privacy, but we'll do what we can. But everybody we go to has some kind of a crisis that they're dealing with at the moment, and it's so fascinating to see what it is that they have. And, to and it's so interesting to see how people deal with these things. I'm going to give you a little clue about next week's show. We're going to talk about the same thing we wrote about in our Deseret News column for this coming week. We're going to talk about making choices based on what will last the longest. And you reminded me of it, Linda. We were going to tell you a classic story I'll give you a preview of about a family who needed a second bathroom, and they finally got a little extra money after saving and scrimping for a long time. They got a little bonus at work. But they realized the other thing they'd never done as a family was to go on a family vacation. And they started wondering, should they use this extra money for another bathroom and be practical and rational about it, or... Should they go on their first family vacation of their entire lives as a family? And they began to ask themselves, which will last the longest, the bathroom or the memories we would make in this vacation? We're going to tell you the rest of that story next week. But for this week, the message is, is clear. We all have problems. We all have worries. We all have crises. And that's what we signed up for when we came into mortality. And what we need to all get in our heads is that we just need to do our best. I want to just end with one thought and then let Linda close. But I love this saying, we are not physical beings who occasionally have a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings who are right now having a physical or mortal experience. And I just like to close by saying, enjoy your family wherever they live, whether you're the mother or the grandmother or the child or whatever. Enjoy that time together because it's fleeting. Nobody's the same age for any more than one day. Good luck and hope to talk to you next time. See you next time on Ayers on the Road.